TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Hi, welcome in to Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. 94-3 the game. It is good to uh, have you guys join us here on this Wednesday. It's good to have Bobby Harward back in studio. And I'm excited about today's show because it's kind of a free-for-all Wednesday. ECU basketball is off this week. Both the men and women have the midweek off, so we'll talk uh, big-picture basketball items, which we did yesterday with Casey Romaley. We'll get into some of that. Philip Pilkins hit behind the glass. We'll talk a little bit of Super Bowl as well. We'll get Bobby's latest Panthers rant. We might talk some MLB, but uh, also, Bobby, it's apparently it's signing day, and I cover recruiting firsthand, and like, there's nothing going on, hardly. Isn't February signing day so boring now? It's like, so anti, I mean, it, I would say anticlimactic, but like, people don't even get excited for it, so it's just kind of there. Yeah, it's like that December signing day has completely, like, put this one on the back burner. I remember it being so important when we were on staff with Ruff. Like, you know, I mean, we had our video people there. Of course, you know, they do the whole spiel so you can put a video on YouTube of, like, getting there in the office, getting the faxes, and coaches celebrating when you have, uh, you know, a a guy commit that it's kind of a battle between two or three schools and he announces on signing day. And now I feel like those days are just over in general. I feel like most of the time kids commit like over the summer now because of the recruiting calendar and the visits and all that stuff. Yeah. Philip and I were talking pre-show and and we were trying to kind of figure out when early signing day started. And, you know, he was asking me like who all signs on early signing day. I'm like now pretty much everybody, like the only people that don't, that are signing today, that are signing today usually late bloomers, guys who, you know, were committed or close to committing to a school, and then maybe a spot they either got dropped or a spot filled up, so they're looking for somewhere to land. Uh, you have one of those guys who signed with the ECU today. The, the official signee of the day, Torin Brazil, out of Bradford High School, defensive lineman, six two two fifty. He'll probably play on the edge to start with, but they think he'll grow into more of an interior guy maybe in time, but. You have guys like that who played for a smaller high school, you know, had some interest but was kind of overlooked, very productive. He signs with ECU after visiting in January. But, you know, and then they're also – so we're waiting on C.J. Hurd to make a decision. And, again, he was a guy who was a Florida State commitment from summer of 22 until November of 23. So he had offers from everybody. Then Florida State dropped him. And now he's looking for a home and uh, his decision down to ECU FAU. There was reports he was down to Colorado UCLA. Now he's down to ECU FAU. So I don't know. Have you been following that at all, Bobby, on the board? And it's just recruiting, man. It's just kind of crazy right now. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, I left coaching before that early signing period and the calendar changed and all that stuff. I mean, I, I got a good buddy out at Southern Cal on Lincoln's staff and he just is like, dude, you're. You're so lucky you got out when you did because it sucks now. He's like, I mean, they intentionally, um, and I say they, I'll use it broad and not just USC, but bigger schools, like they if focus recruiting on like college freshmen now. So it's the recruitment just continues right. throughout, high, uh, you know, after high school. When I was at ECU, it was just the junior uh, college signing day in December 
which I've mentioned it before on this show. Jeff Comfort apparently had no idea about. Right. <laughs> I remember <laughs> when, that. <laughs> when he let Ruff go, Donnie Kirkpatrick was kind of running the show until we got a new head coach, and he said, do you want us to sign these guys? And Comfort had no idea there was a December signing day for junior college, which in and of itself, it kind of just... That's the leader of your athletic department. Right, yeah. With your most important sport. <laughs> but in terms of specifically the, <laughs> the guys that we have, uh, I'm, I'm the signing today, I don't know. I always get very intrigued with these late signees. Uh, and the reason I say that is I always go back to Tay Cooper. He was one of our last guys we could get in. Some of these guys that do just sip, slip through the cracks. And, I mean, the, the defensive lineman we got, he seems like a low-profile low guy, which is also another reason I'm intrigued by it. I'm not as intrigued as much by C.J. Hurd because it seems like he's enjoying the attention here in these last few weeks. Now, it does suck for him to be committed for so long to Florida State and then to get dropped. Um, so obviously he had a commitment in place there uh, and wasn't all about the drama. But now recently he, it just seems like he's loving the attention, and that, that gives me a concern because we have not had very much luck with that here at ECU. Antoine Jackson comes to mind, uh, but, hey, it is what it is. Uh, by the way, ECU got a uh, rare upgrade with one of his commitments and signees, Yannick Smith, wide receiver out of Somerville High School. He was elevated from... Okay, first off, he was a mid-three-star. He got elevated at the Shrine Bowl to a high three-star. Then he signed with ECU, and I always get told, hey, if they sign with ECU, what are they going to do? They're going to get dropped. Well, Bobby, Yannick Smith was elevated by both 24-7 sports and on three three to a four-star recruit after signing with ECU. So... It can happen. It can happen very rarely, but it can happen. I do have a question for you. Yes. I noticed, I guess this was before the December signing day. I think we were like first or second in the American Conference team recruiting rankings. Uh, I believe we were maybe competing with South Florida, who's coming off a great year. Right. Now looking, I looked again this morning, and we're fifth. Is that because of the transfer commitments and all that stuff like i think charlotte may have leaped us i know in espn's rankings um we were like seventh in the american but i I see we're fifth here what i guess is the reason for the drop off so it's interesting because 24 7 sports uses so there's a 24 7 sports ranking and then there's a 24 7 sports composite ranking and so ECU, according to 24-7 Sports, looks like is fifth, and then the 24-7 Sports composite, which is the number underneath this, is fourth. And you got like Charlotte, which is fourth, and then seventh. So I think, uh, honestly, we have changed this so many times, but the composite rank is just the high school in JUCO. So that is where ECU ranks fifth. And then the overall rank is a combination of transfer class and high school slash junior college. And honestly, ECU's... Like, the guy who committed today, Brazil, has not been evaluated yet, so that number could still change. But you've had what I think has happened is a lot of these schools have ended up adding a lot more commitments. Um, but, it, you know, it has USF with 28 commits. So there's no way they have 28 high school commits. So this may be, let's see here, you have 12 enrollees, 16. I guess they do. They got 28 high school commits. So a lot of this, too, is numbers-driven. I mean, nearly 30 commits for USF, 27 for Tulsa. So if you take away, if you go more on average ranking, ECU is is just behind those schools. So I guess they've added more 
in the last month to answer your question. I was just kind of working through all yeah, that in my head. Yeah, no, that's great. That's why I was curious, especially Charlotte. Like That one yeah. probably surprised me, so I wondered if the transfer rankings, because with those guys, obviously we know they took a lot of those SEC guys that may not be proven but are still kind of carrying those higher stars or rankings right. just based upon their high school profile. So I was curious about that. Um, because obviously, maybe we are developing a rivalry with them. We'll see. So Charlotte, you have 22 commits, and their average ranking of the commits is 84.04. ECU's average rating is 84.10. So basically, they're being evaluated about the same. USF looks to have the best class, both ratings and numbers-wise, which I guess isn't a surprise when you're in Florida. You know, those guys get a lot of attention. And then Tulsa, surprising that they have the second-highest-rated Class both in terms of commitments and average ranking. Uh, didn't have Tulsa no cleaning up and recruiting. Not at all. Like a Tulsa is just not a very desirable place. It's a very small campus. And then uh, Coach Wilson, I'm going blank yeah, on Kevin his first. Wilson. Kevin, yep, at, formerly at Indiana, is the head coach there. So he's like an older white guy that I yeah. just kind of wouldn't <laughs> expect to be able to relate to some of these younger guys coming out. So. Uh, I was shocked to see that. Um, I see North Texas isn't trailing too far behind. I wouldn't be surprised in the next few years if we see them creep up, being that they're in Dallas. Um, obviously, that's just Texas in general is a recruiting hotbed. Um, Memphis has the NIL money from FedEx to back it up. Plus, they've, I mean, they've, they've put in a lot of money to their facilities and stuff. So things there are pretty nice right now. Surprised to see UTSA towards the bottom of this list, but I guess they're more heavily focused on the portal. And then Rice towards the bottom, not a surprise. UAB, Navy, Temple. So, yeah, we'll see. You know, again, we'll see what happens with CJ Hurd. I think if ECU can, you know, and recruiting rankings aren't everything, but if ECU can continually finish in the top four or five of the league in recruiting and develop and find that balance between transfers and everything, Bobby, I think, look, it's just hard to recruit ECU. People don't understand. If you get them here, it's easier, but you know you are located off the map, so to speak. So it's not like you're in a major metro area where, like, a, a many basically every school in the American is yeah, in a metro yeah. area except for East Carolina. So like, people don't realize how hard it is to get recruits here. And you've been on staff. Like, it's hard to get people to drive or fly to Greenville. Well, that's why having official visits um, while students are in school. In season, because a big selling point of ECU is the stadium, is the stadium atmosphere. Like our facilities, at least they're much improved now. They're still not the level it needs to be, but they are improved a lot from when I was there. And like that was the thing. We had to sell the stadium atmosphere. And like we had to also sell to our administration, hey, stadium atmosphere is not a facility. We also need these facility upgrades too. And I think this new admin team is finally, you know, getting there and Obviously, because of the financial issues, we're kind of still behind the curve getting there and having to fully fundraise before we get this indoor. But, I mean, that that was one thing, transitioning a little bit to basketball, thinking last night, and we were talking a little before the show, like South Florida and Charlotte, it really pisses me off that they have jumped us in basketball and they're doing so well. Quickly, too. Very quickly. And, I mean, historically, Charlotte's had a better basketball program. I don't think that's even up for debate. But in recent memory, it hasn't been great. And then they lose their coach, and they have this interim coach come in over the summer. And then South Florida 
has always been the team that we can know we could suck with. Like both of us are just bad. We probably split one on one. Maybe we can go two and zero. Oh. And now you have both teams competing last night and eight eight and one in conference. And like the first thing that comes to mind is okay. You're attracting kids to Tampa, Florida, and you're t- attracting kids to Charlotte, North Carolina. Both are more metropolitan areas. Like, and, and it's hard, I would imagine, even further to get a basketball recruit into Greenville, let alone when we don't have the atmosphere that we're selling like we are in football. Philip, you're from the Charlotte area. How much did you, and you may have already had ties to ECU growing up, but did you like, how much ECU buzz is there in the Charlotte area, if at all? Uh, there's a good amount. So yeah. I, had, I had a decent amount of teachers who were alumni. And then also my dad worked for a company where they had an office in Raleigh. And actually a lot of the guys that he worked directly with were in Raleigh. And most of the guys that worked in the Raleigh office were frat guys here at ECU in the early to mid-90s. So I had that. But, yeah, I had a bunch of teachers that would, like, their screensaver on their smart board was, like, them in the student section at ECU back in the day when everybody used to paint themselves, like, skeletons and stuff. So it was always told, like, hey, best student section in college football in the state of North Carolina. Um, they probably shouldn't have been telling us this. It was a like, great party atmosphere as they're talking to a bunch of 16-year-olds, but, you know, they, they said it without saying it. So um, I had a decent amount of buzz for ECU. I would say more so than App or Wilmington or really any of the other non-Power 5 programs. Did you ever come to ECU before, like, I don't know, visiting to come to school here? No, I didn't. Um, I would like to have come to a game, but, like, with us having – with me always playing basketball, football, baseball growing up, I was pretty much every Saturday was booked till I got into high school, and then you know I was still playing during the during the season, run, playing football and running track in high school. And then on top of that, with us having Panthers tickets, it's it was tough to make two football games in a weekend. So uh, I had not actually been to Greenville before. Are there a lot of season ticket holders out in Charlotte like that do make the trek? Did you know of any season ticket holders? I'm curious about that because I mean that's a that's a four it's hour a drive. Way. Yeah. Yeah, uh, not as much. I knew more of them in Raleigh. I knew a lot of them in Raleigh. Um, there were a few people, most of them ones I knew in Charlotte were younger, as in recent grads, and they would always come back from the homecoming game and then try and make one or two of their games, but not as many season tickets. I don't want to say I never met any of them, but I would say more in the Raleigh and the Triangle area. So long story short, it's hard to get from places like Charlotte to Greenville because it's yeah. far away and... But at least you did have some exposure to East Carolina. It's just, you know, it's hard to get here. It's hard to convince a Charlotte High School football recruit, which is a hotbed for a lot of schools. Everybody recruits Charlotte to get to to Greenville. So, yeah, it, it, something else I want to ask you all. Look, ECU, we always hear recruit local, blah, 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 and I, I agree to an extent. This recruiting class you got four guys from Florida, as it stands right now, three signed guys from North Carolina, four from South Carolina, three from Georgia, two from Virginia, one from Alabama, Kentucky, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee. So it's kind of all over the southeast. Are you – y'all recruited North Carolina pretty big under rough, and Scotty did too. I remember them championing that, you know, they were the North Carolina state champions for the only school to sign double-digit <laughs> recruits in, you in North Carolina. That didn't really work out. Many of those guys were busts. Uh, where do you fall in the recruit local thing? Yeah, I mean, maybe 15 years ago that was great. Yeah, uh, I know it was a priority for rough staff. Like he wanted every single high school hit and touch. And if he actually, he would get pissed if he found out that one of the coaches skipped a school. Right. He would, he would legitimately get angry and, and fuss Which at him a fair. little bit um, because he. I mean, he's from North Carolina. 
I think some of it just depends on the class, too. Like, my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm incorrect here, uh, North Carolina was just down in, in terms of uh, it's talent. It's been kind of down the last few years, honestly. And I think it's going to change going into this next year. I think it's going to be a little bit uh, more talented. So, And that's the other thing here. Like, you're filtering through the North Carolina, North Carolina State, and then you're filtering also Duke and Wake Forest, who, I mean, ACC, people want to play in the ACC more than they want to play in the American. And then now you add that. That was my biggest concern with Charlotte joining just FBS football in general is like, all right, now these guys that we could rely on and recruit in Charlotte to still play Division One football but just go four hours east can now stay more local. And then it, it really puts a dent in your South Carolina recruiting as well. So I don't think, to me, just go where the talent is, like, and that was a big reason, I think, towards the latter part of Ruff's tenure there, we did start to evolve a little bit in the sense of, like, us as GAs got recruiting areas to make sure, like, we still span it within the southeast and up into New Jersey, but just to make sure, like, some of these guys we don't miss on because it was so hard to compete with those in-state schools uh, getting in-state talent. I'm a big fan of anybody – in Georgia, specifically the Atlanta area, I feel like most of the guys ECU has signed from that area have panned out if they're you know good good students to stay in school. And uh, Florida as well. I mean, you do have to filter through. There, there's <clears throat> there's just so many schools that recruit those areas. So, but I, I just feel like even the second, third, fourth tier kids from those schools, there's just so much talent there. Well, and here's a big reason why it's the pay of the coaches. Like yeah. they have better programs because the state invests more into their coaches, into their uh, athletics programs. Like, uh, I'll never forget David Mackey finishing up on staff. And he was like, how much do you make? Because he was considering staying and and doing high school coaching. I said, he's like, how much do you make uh, coaching? I was like, my stipend's like $3,000 for coaching. And he's like, no way, get out. And I'm like, yeah, what did you make in Georgia? He said, dude, a good coordinator makes thirty to $40,000 in Georgia. for a high school. For a high school. And so, obviously... I mean, we've seen it too locally. Havelock, like Caleb went down to South Carolina and you got other guys around the state going down to South Carolina and to Georgia and stuff like that. Like they have better programs. So kids at those schools acclimate better when they get to the college level because they're run more similarly to a college program at the high school level. So uh, I think a lot of it comes down to the funding in the state as well. Yeah, I had a just kind of going off that. Sorry. My high school coach, my senior year, we got a new one. It was his first year as a head coach. He coached there my freshman year of college and got a job offer in South Carolina. I don't know what the raise was, but he said that he would be stupid not to take it. Like It was crazy with how much more he was being paid to move like an hour and a half away as opposed to staying in North Carolina. It's it's crazy, man. I, I do wish... You know, you, you had a bigger investment in North Carolina high school football. Not that it's bad, but it's just like, you know, it's just so, some of the times we've seen four or five star kids from Eastern North Carolina not pan out because, you know, they're playing pretty weak competition compared, comparatively speaking. So we'll see. Uh, you know, you do have to recruit local, but I also think you got to hit those metro areas too, if possible. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We will shift gears. We'll get into some pirate basketball. And then we'll also talk Panthers in the same segment. We'll make Bobby as mad as possible. See how much we can get him going. We're also live on YouTube, Facebook. If you guys have a question, drop it. If you want us to address anything, it's kind of a free-for-all Wednesday. And uh, we'll, we'll address whatever you guys want on the show. All right, this is Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. 
climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in. Hoist the colors on this Wednesday. We've got Bobby Harward in studio. Philip Pilkington is producing. Bobby's appearance today brought to you by Basil's Restaurant and Pizzeria. Check them out. 1675 East Fire Tower Road. As the spring comes, take advantage of their outdoor seating. Great spot to chill and over by the movie theater as well. So catch dinner, grab a movie or watch a movie. And, uh, did I just say catch dinner, grab a movie? I meant to say grab dinner, catch a movie. That would work a lot better. It'd be kind of hard to catch dinner. Uh, so do that. Basil's 1675 East Fire Tower Road. Great food, pasta, salad, pizza, everything you need. Burgers, all sorts of good stuff at Basil's. All right, I want to give a shout-out. Uh, we had Kim McNeil and Danae McNeil on and Tatiana Weish on the Monday Inside Pirate Athletics from Tiebreakers. The women's basketball program joined us with Mike Schwartz on the road recruiting. The ladies have won four out of five. They return home to host Charlotte. Hopefully, it's been a struggle against Charlotte in every sport, Bobby. And so ECU due to get one this Saturday. It'll be the girls and women in sports game, 2 o'clock, February 10th this Saturday. And both teams, I think, are right around the same spot in the standings. ECU game out of first place. There's like a log jam in the top six or seven of the league. So the the Pirates owe the Niners one. Hopefully it comes Saturday. We got to win something because (laughs) I know Charlotte fans are wanting a rivalry, but it's hard to be considered a rivalry when one side is winning the whole time. Yeah, it's been painful. By the way, so 2 o'clock tip-off, again, the girls and women's and sports game inside Minji's Coliseum this Saturday. Huge game to get there. Support the women. Also, ECU softball gets underway starting tomorrow. Shane Winkler, we had him in studio last Thursday. The Pirates will open their season at Charleston Southern. Thursday at 5 o'clock. That'll be available on ESPN+. And uh, then they will play a lot of games in a short amount of time in the Charleston Invitational this coming weekend. So huge weekend for softball. And also big weekend for women's basketball. All right, let's talk men's basketball. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> uh, the Pirates, we, we had a, I don't know if you listened to any yesterday's show, we, we kind of had a discussion, Bobby, about Hey, how could the Pirates turn their season around? I guess you commented, so you probably listened to something. Yeah, I did listen to it, yep. Um, we got into the whole discussion about, like, why does ECU basketball just always struggle? And my thing is now, people always want to point to the past, which is a factor, but you're you're investing more than you ever have in basketball, so, like, at what point can we expect results? Is the question. Should have been last year. I mean, honestly, yeah. that's when we should have started expecting it. Like, we've made the jump financially. We have the transfer portal, which I know Kaysen had mentioned, and I agree with 100%. It is easier now to get better quicker with the transfer portal than it has ever been. Like, you used to have to hope that you would get a guy that falls through the cracks and then doesn't transfer. I mean, we saw that with – we actually – Got some of those guys, and they did transfer. Elijah Hughes, ACC Player of the Year, before he finished up at Syracuse. Jaden Garner at um, 
UVA, Noah Farrakhan or whatever. Farrakhan, yeah. Yeah, he's playing well, I believe, at West Virginia. Yeah, he went to Eastern Michigan, then West Virginia. Like, you have all these guys that have just, they've come Tristan here. Tristan Newton. Tristan Newton, yes. I can't believe I forgot that one. I mean, like, it's just, I don't know, it's super frustrating to me. I mentioned it earlier in the show, but it really just irks me that, you know, we have this this program that has just been in the dumpster for years. I mean, we're going 30 years now since we last made the NCAA tournament. And we have South Florida and Charlotte, who's new to the conference. And we're just, I mean, we're still the dumps, and they're 8-1. and one, And it's like they both got these, like, the, the coach excuse, like, a new coach, new program, that doesn't fly anymore because, as we see, Charlotte guy got announced over the summer, and this is a new coach at South Florida. They're both in their first season. Like, so the whole coaching thing doesn't fly to me. And, like, I'm willing – I'm I'm good with – I think Shorts can get year three. But here's my thing. Unless there's a philosophy change in how he approaches the portal and how he recruits, uh, after year three, if there's zero improvement, I'm good with him moving on. Just because – and my reason is, like – he has a chance now to adjust. He did what he thought was best at the time, which is going for continuity, which I did not disagree with. I was actually in favor of after we've seen all those years with Joe Dooley. But now seeing it's not playing out, like, honestly, R.J. Felton and Brandon Johnson are the only two that I'm, I'm surefire want back. Everybody else, I am cool if we get 10 new transfers in. Yeah, there was a, there was a year Dooley brought in 11 transfers, and uh, they were worse than the year before. So, it doesn't automatically mean that it's a fix. You you, do, you still have to find the balance. Like I mean, I, and you got to have some nil money too if you're going to go that route right now. I mean, back then when Dooley did that complete blow up, it was just Jaden Gardner, Seth Liday, and everybody else was new. And then Seth Liday left the team like a week into the season. He got sent back to his hotel room at uh, one of the tournaments and left the team. Inside story there, but uh, I don't know, like. <clears throat> Is this a is it just a culture thing, Philip? Like, I, I don't know. Like, too many, so many people I talk to, ECU lost to Charlotte. Oh well, that's not a surprise. ECU, you know, is always stunk in basketball. Charlotte's always been good. That's like the the typical response I get. But I'm like, how do we? How do you change that mentality? Especially when ECU is now spending more money than than schools like Charlotte coming into the league that are trying to catch up. It's just. Is it a mentality culture thing, and how do you even get past that? Well, one of the things that we're issues disadvantage is going back to our previous site when talking about football recruiting. It's even harder to get someone here for basketball, and then on top of that, you get them in here, and what atmosphere do they have? At least Bobby's to Bobby's point, you could sell them the atmosphere in football. We don't have that, and then they look up at the rafters and they see this team's been to two NCAA tournaments and they've had a basketball program for seventy years or whatever. We don't even have our two retired jerseys hanging in the rafters. Like, doesn't make sense. So I think the unfortunate thing is, until you hit on something that turns it around. That's the unanswerable question almost. And then once you do hit on something, you almost have to ride it out and continue to have it hit for an extended period of time to stay relevant. I mean, when you look at other schools around here, you know, Davidson until this past year had had a coach that had been there for 40 years. VCU has been to a Final Four in every single collegiate athlete's lifetime who's currently playing. Charlotte had the Bobby Lutz days, and then, you know, we were at their gym where – 
they had 8,200 people at a game. Yeah, I mean, it was the biggest crowd they had had in a long time, but that place is still rocking, and they put a lot, you know, the facilities are a lot nicer. So the unfortunate thing is you just have to hit on something that you was stacked when the odds were stacked against you, and then when you do, it becomes a desirable destination. So what you almost need is you need Mike Schwartz to go to the NCAA tournament like Kim McNeil did last year, and then people want to come play for Mike Schwartz. And then if he leaves and takes a bigger job, at least people say, hey, this school's had a lot of recent success. There's a lot of hype around them. The fans are all involved. The same way we're invested in baseball, right? Like, would ECU baseball have all of this fandom around it if they stunk? No, but they've been so good for so many years, and now... It's easy to stay good because when kids, excuse me, come come here recruiting. <laughs> sorry up. about that. When kids come here for recruiting, we're putting six thousand people in there for a Tuesday night game against Carolina. Like, what other place is doing that? So, I think I looked at we were like twentieth in attendance last year in the entire country in baseball. So, that's the unfortunate thing is you need that one thing to hit, and until then. I don't know if there's much you can do other than just attempt to get better and put more money into it. I had no idea we had retired jerseys. No idea. No exactly. idea. I don't even know. I didn't even know that. We have one men's player and one women's player, and their jerseys are not in the Raptors. How are they not in the Raptors? Like, uh, how? I mean, did one AD? Does our AD know there's jerseys retired? Like, does he know that? Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I know uh, some stuff. I just don't want to get in room. trouble. What am I allowed to say right now? <laughs> I will say someone in the athletic department. Recently discovered this, kind of heckled the high ups, and they were like, "Okay, we'll we'll take care of it, but don't I don't want to say too much. Get the high ups like slandered here." But they were like, "All right, you got to quit heckling us about this. We have other stuff that, yes, you're right, but well, maybe that's kind of an off the record conversation. Probably shouldn't be saying as much as I'm saying right now." Last time they tried to unfill a banner, (laughs) yeah, didn't go so well. So maybe we need to make sure we have our operation down, and and I don't know have. Maybe have a game to recognize these people so we could educate. I, I mean, I cover the team, and I, I see the banners, but obviously don't see those, so I don't even know about it. Uh, Tommy on Facebook says, Best, honest, and real conversation I've heard in a long time. Thank you. Keep it real. Thanks, Tommy, for tuning in. I mean, I just – and I feel like enough people care about ECU basketball. Like, I always hear people don't care. ECU is fourth in the conference in attendance, even ahead of Charlotte after the, uh, the sellout the other day. So it's like – I think it's Wichita, Memphis, and maybe North Texas. One of the one of the other schools is just ahead of ECU. And then, so like you, you're getting enough people to the game for a program that has never won in this century. It's just uh, and like I do agree with you, Philip. Like you need something to hold on to. Like you need some luck. You just need like one lucky four or five game winning streak. But that's never happened. They've never won more than two games in the American in a row, which is just hard to believe. It's just yeah. It's, it's, it's frustrating to talk about. It's so annoying. And that kind of surprises me. We're fourth. I, I wonder, is that ticket sales or actually butts in seats? They, I guess it's just tickets sold reported attendance. Cause that, like, can we get the purple seat thing fixed? Like, I'm tired of – like, I, I took Dacre to the game against Temple, my son. And I wanted to get purple seats, but they're all sold out. But then you look down there, it's like hundreds of purple seats available. And that's just – I don't know. That's frustrating. Um like, I, it's awesome that they sold out because that's more revenue coming into into uh, our athletic department. But just, let's let's figure out a, a good functioning system to let those go up for resale if we're not going to utilize them. I, I know the Iron Dukes, like they're 
supporters get refunded. So if I were to purchase somebody's tickets, like they get refunded for those tickets, which I think is a, a great idea. And, and to your point, like people do care. I, I've told you already, I'm going to get season tickets next year. I have not bought season tickets for basketball yet. My son absolutely loves it. So we're going to get season tickets. And even though our out of conference schedule is going to be booty, like it's <laughs> there, it's fun to go to the games. And, and I just, I don't know. It's just frustrating to get optimism and hope every single year and just to be disappointed time and time again. And it, it's almost like it's the same, but it's not the same. If that makes sense. Like it's the same cycle. Like we get hot because our out of conference schedule sucks and then we think we're better than we are and then we get into conference play and we fall off. And in years past, it's been like, all right, let's just bring in two or three more guys. Okay. Let's do a complete reset. We do the complete reset. Okay. Let's bring in one or two more guys. And it's just over and over and over again. It, it seems to fail. And, and this place can get rocking if we get some atmosphere. Like you've seen. Uh, really good atmospheres. I have older pirate friends who talk about the Marquette game when they came in here with Dwayne Wade. Like the Wichita State game a few years ago is one that comes to my mind that I attended. So it, it's just something has to give. Whether it honestly, I'm at the point just freaking cheat, just cheat in recruiting. <laughs> like we saw Memphis do it. And why not? Why not? I mean, they still got notability, notoriety now. Being that they're Memphis, and it's all because of Jalen Rose having somebody else take the or not Jay is it, uh, Derek Rose somebody else yeah. taking the SAT for him. Like let a Calipari cheater let let's get Josh Passner in here. Let's let him cheat his way into some recruiting wins and put some product on the field because or on the court because eventually, like to Phillips' point, if we can stack some wins, like if Shorts does win and make it happen and turns it around. It's a desirable job now. It's and a, he can go wherever he wants to go. He right. went to ECU. Yeah, exactly. Whatever job you want to go. So, I mean, there's, it's a hard job, but it's it's gotten better despite what people say. Like, the investments there, ECU is now in the middle of the pack in the league in budget. It's not like they're at the bottom. Yeah. And so, you know, you don't have to deal with Houston, UCF, all those schools anymore. So, I know we got to get a break in, but it's like every time ECU goes on one of these two-game winning streaks, I get hype, fans get hype, and then it just falls yeah. apart. You just got to get over that hump somehow. One last point, too, yeah. of why this is attractive. Like, I mean, we play on Wednesday and Thursday nights on ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU. Like, we, outside of the ACC and the Big 12 that get those premier spots in ESPN, we're still getting, like, the eyes and the viewership just in the latter half of the week. So, like, it's a desirable basketball conference to be a part of if you're obviously not in that upper – like, this is the next best thing. Right. So it, it can be an attractive destination. We just got to figure out something to get it right. Just look at USF and Charlotte the last two games and their buildings, those games. Uh, notoriety, ESPNU, ESPN2, and big wins, big crowds. It can happen. All right, we will switch gears. We'll talk uh, NFL – Got to get some Panthers in, and we'll talk Super Bowl preview as well on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Wednesday. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. 194.3, the game. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on this Wednesday. Uh, we're talking jersey retirement. It's got me thinking. There's not too many 1,000-point scores in ECU history. R.J. Felton is just 43 points away from scoring 1,000. He's a junior, so 
Maybe we could see that number three retired, hanging in the rafters one day. You never know. I mean, he, he's had a he's had a heck of a career, man. He has. As yeah. frustrating as this team is to watch, RJ is a is a pleasure to watch. He, he's quickly turned into my favorite player on this team, no doubt. I, I was a big Brandon Johnson fan just because of his size and, and right. ability to shoot the three, but just to see the heart and the effort that RJ Felton puts in, like he's he's my favorite dude on this team right now. So I enjoy watching RJ. Great job. Keep it up, dude. Alex Marion says agree with Bobby 100%. I don't know what he's talking about, maybe all of it. And uh, Steven's, Steven's getting Bobby all flustered today, according to, to RBN. You haven't seen him flustered yet. Yeah, Let's we haven't talk even got a Panther. <laughs> Carolina Panthers. Yeah, oh so have God. we talked to you since the uh, since the press conference for uh, – well, I, I can't even remember his name. Dave Dave Canales. Canales. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when was that? That was late last week. That right? was late last week. I don't think we talked about it. We we took the week off of our our Panther segment last week. Okay, and so we have. What do you think? You know, I, I told you this before we went on air, and and I'll share this with everyone. I have gone to the mindset of you know what? I wasn't thrilled with the Dave Canales hire, but I'm gonna give. Some optimism to the Panthers. I liked a lot of what he said in the press conference. Obviously, he's doing something right with Geno Smith and Baker Mayfield. And then I watched uh, something on Underdog Fantasy, a little video they did on, on Dave Canales' third down calls through the first two weeks. And honestly, I wasn't as impressed as I thought I would be because there wasn't a lot to his play calls. It was just Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are better than anybody else on the in the defensive secondary. So... That's kind of what I came away with, but still, like, the general mojo and vibe of Canales I was happy with. Dan Morgan, I've been a lot more suspect about. I've been a lot more, like, this is the second in command to the previous GM who just produced a 2-15 and team, and you're going to hire him and retain him. But I was like, you know what? I'm still going to be optimistic about this. And then I'm listening to a podcast, and they mention... How Mike Lombardi, former GM and executive with the Patriots and I believe the Raiders, has a podcast called the GM Shuffle. And right after the season ends, he says, it's a weird situation in Carolina. I've heard Dan Morgan may get the job. He has gotten close in a tight relationship with Nicole Tepper, the owner's wife. And I'm just, I lose it after that, dude. I'm like, what? What credentials does Nicole Tepper have to hire somebody as an a GM? Like, we've mentioned it before. David Tepper, like, it sucks he's in the football decisions, but at least he's built up like a business empire. Like, he has hired people, all this stuff. He's really just letting Nicole join things to hire good people. In their defense, for the most part, like, Frank Wright was a good person. They've hired good people. Scott Fitter didn't do a great job. Really good dude. But you're going to let Nicole Tepper come in here and say, yeah, let, I'm close with Dan Morgan. I like him. He's a good person, so let's let's promote him. After coming off a 2-15 and 15 com- campaign, so I completely lost all optimism after that because it's like I know they're trying to say Tepper's th- not staying involved, and that may be good and well for this offseason. What happens when they're 0-3? When they're 0-3, does he say, hey, I need to fix this? Like, does he just step in? So it's I lost my optimism quickly, and I'm back in just the pooper with the Panthers. Maybe the answer is to let Nicole make the decisions above David. I don't know. I mean, she can't do any worse than her husband, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> apparently she was loved Bryce Young, and that's why they went okay. with Bryce Young. So it's like. So has Nicole been calling the shots the whole time? Is a real question. That's what I'm starting to figure out. Like, our friends asked, like, uh, we were, we have a little group chat, and it's like, 
they were like, well, Dave Canales, I think, can't call worse plays. And I'm like, well, David Tepper called the plays last year. Nicole Tepper's calling them this year, so maybe there's hope. And don't get me wrong. The things, like, Nicole is responsible for in terms of, like, giving back to the community and all that stuff, like, kudos. I'll give the Teppers credit there. I will not just bash them. Like, they have done a lot for the Carolinas, which has been really cool, and Nicole has really been the driving force of that. But stay out of the football stuff. Just stay out of the football decisions. Like, let the football people do their job. What are your thoughts on this, Philip? Are you buying into Bobby's, uh, I don't know, criticisms here? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I don't know who's doing what over there. <laughs> Either way, it's not been working. The owners need to band together and fire Tepper. I, I do have a word. I, I did put in a word with a one share owner of the Green Bay Packers, Scott Rogers, to see what he could do to get Tepper fired, and he said he would do everything he could. So He's maybe the Packers on are on our side. Yeah, Scott, the I mean, pressure's on. Look, look I, I, I'm ticked off too, and I, but I'm, I'm, I've been trying to ignore it in the off season, like Bobby. Like, kudos to you for keeping up with this much, but I've just been watching hockey and. I'm just He's trying to ready get for hope. NASCAR season. I'm just I like I'm not expecting the Panthers to win five or six games next year. I just want optimism that things are going to get better and things are going to improve. And like, just I don't know, dude. It's just like listening to some of these national media guys. Like the easiest comparison is the Dan Snyder and hearing guys on the NFL Network and and uh, Albert Breer, who I mentioned I like a lot. Like they always push back on the Snyder comparison because apparently, like. Tepper, for the most part, is a pretty decent human being, which Snyder was not. But it's just, I don't know. Some- Unless he's throwing drinks on somebody. Yeah, right. like, think, think of all like, the, the, the land he's tore up to build stuff and then just gotten out yeah, of Yeah, whatever it. happened to that practice? So yeah, there's been two facilities no. he's half built. No, he's, from what I understand from people in the business area of Charlotte, he's not really that good of a guy. Okay. Well, yeah. At least he has given back to the community. He has. I guess that's his way of like reconciling. It's just funding a bunch of money. Right. I, I did see they took out their bubble. They took out their practice bubble, so they no longer have a practice bubble. We have an, an NFL franchise that doesn't have a place to practice indoors outside of the Charlotte Convention Center. They're just like the Pirates of ECU. Dude. Well, <laughs> here, here's the thing, Pirates, John Gilbert. I've seen they're going to donate that bubble, and maybe wow. they transport it down here to Greenville, and now we have our indoor facility resolved. All will be forgiven, David Tepper, if that's the case. Maybe they can work out a partnership. Uh, Super Bowl coming up, guys, Sunday. And uh, what, what do you? How do you handicap this game? Are you, are you excited about? It? I don't know. I can't get much buzz going. Nah, sure. I'm not really excited yeah. about it. I just, I don't know. I'm so done with the Chiefs. I'm, I'm tired of it. And honestly, the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl kind of annoy me. I, I tend to have, I work from home, so I have a TV in my office, and I tend to just have good morning football on mute, and then I'll unmute it if I see something <laughs> right. like kind of it, intriguing. But I mean, it's just been all these, it's just not interesting to me. I guess the, the most I'm looking forward to is seeing Kyle Shanahan call the game. That's probably seeing him call the offense of the game and, and just seeing how they do. I, I definitely hope the 49ers win, but I don't know. you got a legacy team in the 49ers, the Chiefs. I'm kind of over, tired of all the Taylor Swift stuff, tired of all the Patrick Mahomes. Like I'm just ready to move on from them. Yo, speaking of good morning football, did you see the other day when they had the second gentleman on there talking about, I don't remember what his name is, but Kamala's husband talking about his fantasy football team? No. That's what they had on Good Morning Football. I was, again, not watching this. I do not care about a politician 
a politician's husband's fantasy football team. I have not turned on ESPN nor NFL Network since the end of the AFC NFC Championship game because I, I don't I don't want to watch Get Up or whatever the heck it yeah, is. Yeah, I don't ESPN watch like. any of that crap on ESPN. <laughs> the the biggest disappointment to me is YouTube TV not figuring something out with the MLB Network. I know. MLB that Network is the one was channel my, I enjoy yeah. watching. Yep. Speaking of that, we're trying to get Connor Norby on here in the next few days, uh, working with O's, the Baltimore Orioles PR, so hopefully we can have that for you. Before he reports to spring training, all right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show. We've got one person who is calling for a four-game winning streak for ECU men's basketball. I'll take it. We'll discuss that and more to wrap up the show. Hoist the colors on a Wednesday. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors. That was the voice of Mike Houston. By the way, next Wednesday we will have media availability with head coach Mike Houston as well as all of the assistant staff inside Town Bank Tower. That will be Wednesday morning before our show, so we might have some of that audio for you on Wednesday when Bobby joins us next week. So looking forward to that. We'll get to know some of the new staff members. All right, a few minutes left here on the program. We've discussed a little bit of everything. We'll circle back here, talk some pirate hoops. Johnny Robertson says, I predict a four-game winning streak is about to begin starting in San Antonio. So ECU, again, the men's team, off this week. They go to UTSA, which has played some crazy games this year. That'll be a 4 o'clock tip-off on Saturday. Then Wichita State at home, Tulane at home, at Rice. I would would categorize all four of those as winnable, but the odds of winning four in a row, I would put that at what? 5%? Maybe even less than that. I would say for about 300 of the other teams in NCAA basketball, it's a four-game winning streak. ECU, I'm not not so sure. Like... I'm worried they may lose to UTSA. Like their record is bad. Probably favored. And the, I mean, the thing that will, in theory, should they? Yes, you got Wichita State at home. You've already beaten Tulane. Has not had the year that we thought they would. And then Rice on the road, which is you know, it's winnable, winnable as well. So definitely winnable. I'm going to say two and two is what they come out of that four game streak with. I would say that's probably the, you know, the realistic option. If they do win four in a row and they go into the Memphis game, that's massive. I mean, yeah. that would be that would be lit, as the young <laughs> fellas say. You, you'd uh, go up to fifteen and twelve, eight and six in conference after that. And here's the thing to me that I'm still why I haven't learned yet and holding on hope. Like the conference tournament is still very winnable. Like to your article you just put out on the, your five things that need to change. If they get a guy hot shooting the basketball they get one or two of those guys hot from three like you can go on a run now i think of your five points i think probably two of them happen (laughs) but yes i mean this thing they play good enough defense to where if they just shoot a little bit yeah like a little bit they could win these games they could win four in a row if they and that was why my number one point was you got you can't like have a drop off defensively because then the you know the scoring has to be made up too much i am interested about the utsa game because they're a fast-paced high-scoring team, like does ECU have the personnel to shut that down, or does that mean ECU can maybe get its offense going? Because they have given up like 100-plus points in multiple games too. So Saturday should be interesting, maybe, if nothing yeah. else. 
I think so. I'm going to try to tune in and watch. UTSA has one of the weirder gymnasiums in in the conference. It it kind of has a high school feel, like a a big wall, if I remember correctly, kind of right up next to the court. looks like a high school gym. Yeah, yeah. And because I always keep an eye on the other teams in the Americans' gym, like outside of Memphis, which is ridiculous, like how do they compare to ECU? What does the gym look like? What does the arena look like? Uh, I think we're kind of on par with everybody else in the conference. No doubt. Well, Bobby, this has been fun, man. We're out of time, but appreciate it as yep. always. Good rants, as always. Yeah, appreciate you having me. Look forward to being back next week and having some uh, Mike Houston comments to dissect. Absolutely. Philip, appreciate you as always. We'll be back tomorrow. Scott Rogers will join us as we gear up for ECU baseball season. He'll start joining us every Thursday going forward. This is Hoist the Colors. Talk to you tomorrow. Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Big tax credits are back.